Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome back, everybody. Appreciate you being here on InsideCarolina.com on the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, Joey Powell. Uh, We appreciate you listening. If you have not subscribed yet, please make that happen. Take a second. I'll pause. Give you a second to subscribe. All right, we're good. And after you get done listening to the show, take a second, leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the content. Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, At Inside Carolina, we really care about what our subscribers are getting from us. And if it's not up to snuff, we want to fix that. We can't do it if we don't get your feedback. So leave us a great review. If you don't like what we're doing, leave a bad review or shoot us an email or whatever. But we just need the, need the feedback and reviewing us helps bump us up in the algorithm on how podcasts run their search engines within their, their platform. So appreciate you being here. Coast to Coast Podcast, InsideCarolina.com. Want to give a quick shout out before we get rolling to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring. And with that said, I'll bring in the two guys that you all are actually here to hear. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Sean, how's the left coast going, man? Uh, t-shirt, shorts. Um, I hate you. you know, the pandemic rate, pandemic raging all around, but uh, it's sunny out, so it's good. Man, it was, uh, well, we got to 50 here today in, in the triangle. Rel, how you doing, buddy? Got to be the only person in the world who does a podcast outside uh, in the winter. So, uh, for those who can't you're see, a gamer, man. You're a gamer. Yeah, for those who aren't watching on YouTube, I'm in a hoodie. Um, I've got a heater beside me that you can't see. It's cold, but I'm persevering because it's the only way to keep sanity in the house by doing it outside. <laughs> man, if you ever need to do one of these in the middle of the day, I'm sure Sean and I could. <laughs> Sean and I will make some arrangements. We appreciate appreciate you stepping up and putting it all out there on the line, <laughs> literally exposing yourself to hypothermic situations. For our listeners and viewers, uh, and by the way, if you're viewing us on YouTube, yeah, Sherelle is actually rocking a full-on hoodie because he's sitting out on his patio. Boys, as we get rolling today, uh, not a ton of recruiting news in the traditional sense, but North Carolina may or may not have a bit of a radar for a transfer. Sherelle, what can you tell us about Kayla Mills from Houston? Yeah, he is uh, originally from Asheville, North Carolina, and he spent time at T.C. Roberson High School. Uh, for those who follow North Carolina basketball a lot, that is the school that Roy Williams attended uh, many years ago. Uh, so there's that connection that they have. And UNC actually recruited Mills a couple of years ago. He uh, originally was a member of the class of 2019. And then um, I guess he graduated in December of what would, it would have been his senior year and headed off to Houston. So that year, if you remember, North Carolina they felt good about Cole Anthony, but he hadn't committed yet and he wouldn't commit for about eight more months. And so they were looking for additional help uh, um, in the backcourt. And there were a couple of guys who I think they liked better than him, who they thought were going to end up at UNC and didn't. And that caused them to not offer the first time. And about a week and a half later, he committed to Houston. Um, So it was a kid who definitely is familiar with North Carolina, familiar with the UNC program, familiar with Roy Williams, um, who has said he's transferring because he wants to get closer to home. Um, so all that stuff, you know, it kind of looks favorable for UNC. Um, Tennessee is another school that has called them. I think Virginia is another school that's probably interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing that's going to be the issue with him is that um, he has to try to decide what he wants to do as far as mid-year enrollment or waiting until um, the summer to enroll the school of his choice. For North Carolina, 
uh, they have no scholarships available for a mid-year enrollment. So if he is adamant on enrolling uh, for a spring semester at his new school, then it can't be North Carolina unless he's going to pay his own way. So the, he and his, and his family are working through that. And I think the Carolina staff is talking to him and kind of filling him out. But Roy Williams did make an introductory call um, late last week. And you're looking at a nine-day window when the semester starts, as you tease. So uh, it's important that if things are going to happen here, North Carolina fans should know relatively soon. Sean, what can you tell us about Caleb Mills' game? Yeah, I mean, I think he surprised really everybody last year with how he came in right off the bat as a freshman and averaged a little over 13 points a game um, while shooting, you know, shot 37% from the three-point line. Uh, and once again, he played for a, a Houston team that had lost a lot, but a guy that stepped in right away. Um, you know, I think when watching watching his game on on video, you see a guy that, once again, 37% from behind the arc, but more than just kind of a standstill shooter, he could, you know, really good with a jab step, um, also good at penetration. So he had a pretty good, pretty good ratio of getting to the line. You know, I think the one I'd say, I don't know if it's a concern, but if UNC and this were to get extremely serious, you look at his usage rate from last year and it was 12, is, uh, it was uh, 12th in the country in terms of the percentage of shots in the minutes that he was in, which is crazy and not something you normally, you know, <laughs> see in a, in a UNC offense. And, you know, I, once again, I don't know what happened this year. Obviously Houston's a top 10 team right now. Um, and his kind of percentage uses percentage went down. So, you know, how would he interact more of kind of a, you know, you know, part of a team rather than, you know, being able to take a shot anytime he wants, but, that being said, from a UNC perspective, you know, you can get a, a two guard that doesn't have to go through the, the freshman ups and downs and a, a two guard that can uh, get to the basket, create for himself a little bit and, you know, has some experience, I think, you know, could be a tremendous boost, especially given, you know, a lot of the needs, uh, a lot of the needs this year. Um, so he's definitely an interesting player. Once again, the usage rate was extremely high. So you know, maybe on a little more well-balanced team that could come down and he could still be a strong fit, but definitely in, very interesting from a, a prospect perspective. Well, I appreciate that insight to his game. You know, not a lot of folks get to see Houston play ball a lot. Um, and I, you know, again, I wouldn't have noticed that he hadn't, hadn't got the action this year that he typically was getting with regard to usage rate. Uh, take a quick break before we get into talking about this year's team to tell you guys about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They've been sponsors of Inside Carolina for a really long time. They've been in Chapel Hill even longer. Uh, as long as I can remember, as long as Rail can remember, as long as Sean can remember, they've had top-notch, top-level UNC gear, paraphernalia. I haven't used that word in a while, paraphernalia. Johnny T-Shirt has it, johnnytshirt.com. Hit them up, check their sales, subscribe to their mailing list so that you don't miss any time they put anything on clearance or on sale. And and make sure you're taking care of them. Inside Carolina premium subscribers will know you get that extra 10 off the top if you're a premium subscriber. So make sure we patronize Johnny T-shirt, use them, check them out. Uh, Rel is absolutely enamored with them because they have all of the Nike gear. All of it, not just some, all. Uh, and that's usually between that and crab is what's, what's really uh, is where Sherelle's paycheck is going. Uh, on a regular basis but we love johnny t-shirt want you to love them too if you don't already johnny t-shirt.com or on franklin street in chapel hill hit them up take advantage 
and they certainly appreciate it, and we appreciate them. Uh, let's turn the page a little bit, boys, and let's talk about the current iteration of the Tar Heels. We saw some really, really ugly basketball on Tuesday night in uh, Coral Gables or Miami Gardens or whatever, the pork and beans, wherever they play in Miami. And um, it was pretty brutal. And the thing I'd throw out to you guys, and I'll, Sean, I'll come to you first. As garbage of a game as that was, is there value in winning ugly? Um, say, I guess say, same as the last, you know, last week, always value in, in getting a win, especially, you know, I think a lot, you know, taking a loss to Miami, even though they came in as really a three-point road favorite, which is always a dangerous situation as Sherelle, Sherelle knows these days, but um, you know, it's, yeah, a win against Miami, especially given how they, how they played and coming back from, you know, nine points really late in the game and the fact of who was, who were the guys stepping up. Um, so one, you know, Leaky Black, we've kind of been killing on the podcast up until last week and he had his best offensive game. Uh, play tech mm-hmm. hits the game winner, which I still don't know how he, how, just like we all wrote up, right? <laughs> how he how he got that off? You know, Caleb Love had a pretty pretty poor poor game. Um, and when you know, I was kind of urging him to shoot the ball towards the end. And when he missed uh, that three pointer with three forty to go, I was like, well, he's he's done. And you know, he steps up and hits a huge three. And then you have Dayron, who is once again kind of maybe not as efficient as he was uh, early on, but you know, he was kind of all over the place and he, you know, just dominated on the boards with, with 16 rebounds. And then finally, I've, I've been saying the whole time that they're sealing six threes a game and, and they're hitting nine and they shoot over 40% uh, from three. So, you know, it was, it was ugly. It was one of, you know, 0.88 points per possession was what Ken Palm had. So easily their worst offensive outing and it's a rock fight man that is an absolute rock fight it was tough to watch i mean i think for for everybody but once again it's a win two and two much better than one and three or oh and four which they easily could be and um you know it kind of move on to syracuse and get a little more experience and you know the, the guys are starting to some of the guys are starting to step up so i think all in all can't take anything away from a that yeah uh, Sherelle, I'll, I'll ask you the next question. And I asked this to Greg Barnes on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday, which if any of our listeners don't listen to that, make sure you tune in every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on WCHLChapelboro.com. Sherelle, I asked Greg, how does Roy Williams motivate a team when they're playing poorly? Because you, you hear coaches say that that's usually the most teachable times. But the things they're still having issues with uh, are, are turnovers, and it seems they're correcting those during the game. But the things they're having issues with are turnovers and switching on defense or communicating on defense. They still seem to be pretty rudimentary things. What, what is Roy Williams telling them right now to to just improve the quality of ball that they're putting on the floor every night? I think it's film room. I think it's, you know, I think after the NC State game, uh, what we were told is that they had, or I think what William said was that they had one of the longest film sessions he's ever had at UNC. One, he doesn't like losing to State. And two, he doesn't like losing to State when they play as bad as they did defensively. Um, so I think that's where a lot of the, the improvement can come. 
is in the film room and on the practice court because if you know if you can look at a play and say okay this is what i did wrong i was supposed to switch here i don't know why i didn't switch but i'm going to make sure next time i don't and the assistant coaches bring it up to you and let you know and, and you remember i think the the hope is that through that film study and through that practice and then frankly through positive encouragement because i think they're at that phase now where <laughs> you know yelling at them I, I don't know how much yelling at this team now is, is gonna motivate them um because of, of what they've been through so i think all three of those are, are probably you know what they're doing and, and what they've done in the past frankly um to to get better and you know you're hopeful that you see some continuing improvement on tuesday but i, I go back to it i think this is just the way this team is going to look the entire season and is not going to be fun to watch so just prepare yourself for the next couple of months um there's going to be a lot of rock fights and the hope is that they can just you know make a play or two like they've done in the last couple of games to have a couple more points at the end uh, but i don't see it really changing i don't think they're going to become an offensive juggernaut you know just from being more disciplined and and uh playing better defense you know they might be able to increase their margins by which they're winning from you know two or three to seven or eight but I don't think they're going to be in the 80s and 90s at this point I think you kind of know who they are offensively which is so weird to see uh, I'll, I'll ask you this and only kind of from a sense of continuity from prior episodes we've talked about whittling down that bench and trying to to parse the rotation a bit I think we may have subtly seen that with Walker Kessler over the last two games. Uh, his minutes have kind of dried a good bit. I don't think that means he's going to disappear for the rest of the year. I just think they're going to be a lot more judicious on how they use him. Uh, earlier, Sean mentioned how Caleb Love was playing. And I think Caleb and RJ both had, RJ Davis both had terrible shooting nights from the field against Georgia Tech. Uh, a lot of turnovers still. And then Caleb Love comes out and hits such a clutch three right in front of the bench within the last two minutes of the game, I think, if, if I'm remembering correctly. As we've seen Walker Kessler's minutes, you know, diminish a little, we've seen R.J. Davis's come down just a little, at least with regard to when he's playing. I'd ask you, how long do you think Caleb Love's leash is? Uh, I think it's still, you know, let's put it this way. So he's already lost the starting role. Right. You know, the, the game he didn't start was because RJ was late. So I think right. you've already seen that it, it's shorter than maybe it's been. It would be for a freshman guard in the past. However, I do think he's still going to get a ton of minutes. One, because, you know, frankly, they don't they only have really they have two and a half ball handers really on the team. Yeah, I guess if you count Leaky Black, they have three. But I think they have two guards that they feel somewhat comfortable with handling the ball. So those guys have to play minutes. Um, but I think when you talk about Caleb versus RJ or, or comparing the two, if RJ is shooting as poorly as Caleb is, then it comes down to, well, Caleb is a little bit, you know, stronger, more athletic, taller, bigger. It comes down to that. He has, yeah. uh, you know, a longer wingspan. So theoretically that should help on defense. So I think when it gets to parsing at that level, when they're both turning the ball over and neither are shooting that well, you have to kind of look at those kind of intangibles. And, you know, RJ's hit big shots, but Caleb, there's been a, a few times this season already where Caleb has hit a, a three to, to put UNC down three or, or down two. Um, so that's already happened. So he has a knack for not being scared of the moment. And I think that's good. Not saying that RJ is scared of the moment, but I think once you add all that up and, and, you know, kind of do a pros and cons, yeah. I, personally, I would lean to playing Caleb just a little bit more, um, you know, if we're talking about parsing down the rotation. 
still rooting for the kid. Uh, he's still got the tools. Uh, Coach Williams of the Saffir still obviously behind him. Kind of similar with regard to how the lineup has changed and how it might be affecting players. Sean, I want to come to you with this. When Garrison Brooks is not scoring offensively, uh, as he was against against uh, Miami last week, when he's not having a good offensive game, when he's getting into foul trouble, what can he do to help this team? What can he do as a veteran to be valuable? And, and maybe he's got his chance coming up Tuesday, if, if I, you say what I think you're going to say. But what can Garrison do on the nights that he's not scoring to, to not hurt this team? I mean, I think against Miami, he had, you know, three blocks. Um, so at, at least from a statistical performance, one of his better defensive games. Um, you know, I think especially when you're playing a team and it wasn't necessarily a Miami that is going to try to attack from that four spot, he still offers a little more lateral quickness um, than the other guys. Uh, but, you know, if, if he's not, if he's not scoring or, or he's, you know, I, I think a lot of the shots he was taking were fairly contested. Now, obviously, he had the, the dunk that he missed. So that, you know, that was a, a <laughs> gimme. But it, it did look like his level of, of shot taking was going back to earlier in the season of difficult shots where, you know, he's putting the left shoulder in or, you know, even getting the offensive foul when you knew that guy was going to gonna flop on the block. Um, <laughs> so once again, and especially against Syracuse, whether it's, you know, him in the middle of the zone or, or leaky, um, you know, it, once again, the spacing is important just because, just because that'll give Dayron and Armando a little more freedom, you know, if it's Dayron to do his right-hand hook or Armando to, you know, go up real quick. And I've seen a few times, I know it's not his, his personality, so you, you really can't ask a whole lot if it's just not natural. But, you know, when he did get benched, you saw him, I think, instruct a little bit more and, and kind of, be more that senior leader, especially to the, the younger guys of kind of hyping them up or, or kind of telling them what to do. And that's always something, I mean, the knowledge that he has is things that it's going to take years for the other guys to get. So I think, you know, between some of those areas, there, there are ways for him to, you know, contribute efficiently, even if he's not making shots or, you know, not having the best, best game. Um, and I think we saw some of that on Miami, but, you know, I think it needs to be much more focused going forward. Sherelle, same question. Uh, I think it comes down to um, we talked about the fans need a mindset change. I think Garrison needs a mindset change as well. And this is in no way uh, or shape or form like saying anything negative about him. But, you know, he's not the go to guy on offense for this team. I know he was last year and part of that was circumstance. But Dayron Sharp is the go to player on offense for North Carolina. I think that's he's he's proven that over the last few games. And I think Armando Baycott is is probably on equal footing of Dayron. So Brooks has to go back to his sophomore year and think about how he was successful at UNC that year. And what he did that year, he was an excellent defender. Adrian Atkinson, I'll never forget, called him borderline savant defensively. He needs to tap into that some more. He needs to rebound, uh, blocking shots like he did. And when he has that 15 or 16 foot, let it go, shoot it. Yeah, um, That's going to help the team. So I think if he can do those two things, and it's tough because I get it. He's worked really hard. He put up huge, huge numbers last year. He was the preseason ACC player of the year, all that stuff. But I think we've seen through 11 games that that's not 
what this team needs him to be. What this team needs him to be is closer to what he was as a sophomore. So I think the quicker he can get back to that and kind of fit in with this this group that UNC has, uh, the better he'll be, and I think the better the team will be. Something that I hope he's able to do and, and figure out. Um, when North Carolina has played against Syracuse, and I said this on the radio show on Saturday, it's very much been feast or famine. They've either done really, really well against that zone as far as finding that place right uh, right between the free throw line and the logo and dumping down to the blocks and just carving it up. Or they've taken a lot of dumb shots and settled, which is exactly what Jim Beheim, uh wants his, his team to force the other team into. Um, as we get into Tuesday night, uh, the Tar Heels playing against Syracuse at 9 o'clock, how, how do you guys anticipate this team – working against that zone because I think Garrison actually has uh, has seen some success against that and if nothing else he knows what to do to work against it Carolina has the personnel now I think to to work around that zone but they've got to hit the shots that are given to them uh real quick before I, I toss to you guys Syracuse eight and two on the year their two losses to Pitt and to Rutgers who Rutgers is actually not the Rutgers of old they're a good ball club this year um they go about seven deep as far as their rotation goes. Uh, the Dolezal kid has been there since uh, Derek Coleman was there. Um, Buddy Bayheim is, is, is one of their leading scorers, as well as Alan Griffin. Um, Sherelle, how do you feel like North Carolina is going to match up against this Syracuse team the first time they see it this year? I, I'm, um, I'm not cautiously, cautiously optimistic. I'm, I'm cautiously pessimistic because how, those... whoa, whoa, whoa. how does that work? How is that even a thing? <laughs> Cautiously pessimistic. Like, no, those threes on the wings, man, that is like the great temptation for basketball players. It's like, and it's there. Yeah, it's there. I'm wide open. You know, I've been making this shot my entire life. You know, <laughs> this is, this is cake. I can make this no problem. And, you know, after five or six or seven of those and you're down 10, you know, things start to change. Now, uh, so I, I worry about the freshman guards in this game. It's, you know, it, it's crazy. I think I might worry about them more if they hit a couple at the beginning of the game, because then it'll be, yeah, this is, this is cake. I got this. Um, so I, I worry about them from that regard. Um, but I think the upperclassmen, especially black and, and, and Brooks and, and Baycott, um, I think they know what, what they have to do against Syracuse. And I think, you know, offensive rebounding, they could, they could feast. I mean, yep. big time on Syracuse when it comes to that. So the, the, again, nothing is really going to change as far as North Carolina's best offense and their best offense is a missed shot at this point just because of um, Dayron Sharp's uh, ability to, to rebound in and out of his area. Same thing with uh, Armando. Garrison is a good rebounder. <clears throat> and then if you have Leakey flashing at the free throw line, I think he can make, you know, uh, good decisions about where the balls should go to. And uh, I, I think they can score a lot of points in the paint. So I, I'm, I'm confident about the upperclassmen, but I'm very nervous for the freshman guards. Sean, I'm going to ask you your insight on this game too. If, if memory serves, I want to say it was 2016 or 17. Syracuse was ranked, but would have had to have been uh, 17 then. But Isaiah Hicks and Kennedy Meeks just put on a clinic running that high-low game, just carving up the, you know, that area between the block and the baseline, um, diagonal in. Do you think the Tar Heels have a chance with that? I mean, Sherelle led to it. I feel like they've got the, the personnel as far as big guys go. Do you see that working out for them? Uh, not to the not to the extent of a senior Meeks and a, a senior Hicks. Are you also um, but, cautiously pessimistic? I mean, I'm always cautiously <laughs> pessimistic. Um, I would I, I think I'm a little more optimistic on the guards. Uh, the reason being that 
you know, once again, the, the post players will be sworn when, when they get the ball with the zone, but I think there's going to be a little less pressure on them when they are handling the ball, you know, five to eight feet outside the three-point line. So I think they'll have a little bit, they'll be a little more comfortable in the half court set, um, you know, maybe not feeling as much pressure as they're used to. Uh, so I do think that could give them the ability to hopefully cut down on the turnovers just a bit, because I mean, both of them, a lot of their turnovers are just head scratchers in terms of, you know, basic entry into the post or, you know, as one of the post players rotates up to the top of the key. So that's kind of the one thing I'm optimistic on regarding the zone. Um, but I, I do, th- I mean, Sharp's going to, I think, you know, as long as he stays out of foul trouble, he's going to love playing against, against the zone, um, especially offensive rebounding, given Syracuse gives up a lot of offensive boards. Um, but I think, you know, can Garrison hit that little eight to 10 footer um, instead of trying to take a step in and go in the guy's chest and can Leakey, you know, make quick decisions if he is flashing and, and cutting. Um, and then you have, you know, Walton and Playtech who, will hopefully be able to have their feet under them uh, and get good open shots. So it's going to be interesting, especially given UNC's, you know, deficiencies shooting three-pointers at times. But I think they do have the pieces on offense to take care of it. Now, defensively, Syracuse, I think they have five guys averaging in double figures. Um, And, you know, I think it's it's going to be an interesting – chess match of of how the teams are are going against each other i would say and then i would say uh offensively talking to to folks who know basketball much better than me they say that sometimes unc's team not just the guards they have a tendency to do things just to do them so they're kind of moving through the motions and i think this is a game especially where you have to have a purpose and an intent with what you do because swinging the ball around the perimeter isn't going to open anything up. And that's another right. great temptation for, with the, with the zone is that you just, you pass it back and forth, you pass it back and forth. The shot clock gets to six and you shoot a three and you miss it. And that's an empty possession. So they just need to, to move without the ball, make crisp cuts, make crisp screens. And I think if they're able to do that and, and have a purpose with everything they do, then I, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to win the game. I just do worry about, like I said, about that temptation for the guards of, of moving, the ball around the wing and, and taking those threes and ironically if you look at uh, Syracuse's statistics on the year uh, they've had a couple of games in the hundreds and then a lot of games in the 60s so it's it's really weird as to which uh, which tempo team you may see out of Syracuse coming up I know one of those uh, 100 point games was an overtimer but still you, you wonder which tempo you're going to get out of this Bayheim team um Guys, uh, anything else you want to add about the game coming up against Syracuse? Then the Tar Heels, as of right now, don't have another game next week, so there won't be another one before we uh, we drop another episode of Coast to Coast. Sean, last thoughts? Um, well, you, well you, in terms of Syracuse and, and them scoring over 100, when they scored over 100 against C, they hit 16 threes. Um, so I think against Miami, you know, Miami didn't shoot the ball well, but there is a handful of open opportunities that they did have that just didn't go in. Um, and a lot of that came from, you know, I think there was even several possessions where I thought Sharp did a pretty good job on, you know, hedging on the, the ball screens and at least eliminating the ball handler from attacking or, or doing an easy pass. But once again, once it came out of his hands, you, you throw two, three passes around and you would see a scrambling, which they did a good job of, but 
usually that was ending with an open three. Um, so Syracuse is hitting, uh, that could be, that could be trouble. Uh, but once again, I think if, you know, it's not a Duke or UVA right now. So if they're able to just, however they do it, squeak out another win and be at three and two, you know, that, that could speak volumes for just kind of progressing throughout the rest of the ACC regular season, because I think every, every game for the most part is going to be going to be a dogfight. Yeah. And the league is wide open. I, I really still believe that there's not a, a team that's really head and shoulders above anybody else in this league. Sherelle, last thoughts on Syracuse. I would say to let's not discount the Miami win. Uh, Miami went out a few days later and won on the road against a team that a lot of people think is at the top of the conference in NC State. Um, so Miami has talent. And I, like you said, Joey, that speaks to the ACC kind of being wide open. So um, that's one thing I, I would say. Yes, when North Carolina beats a team, it's going to be ugly. But I think <laughs> I think we automatically go to, well, if, if Carolina beat them, they're not very good. Let's, let's not do that, I think. Um, and then the other thing I would say, <clears throat> is that it probably, you know, it's never a good thing when there are COVID related issues, but as far as the basketball side of it, I think it's good that North Carolina didn't have to play a defensive team like Clemson um, on that, not a short turnaround, but in a couple of days after the Miami game, I, I think it's a good chance for them to have a little more practice um, against the zone, another chance for them to kind of just, you know, look at film and, and get better internally, get better that way. Um, Cause I, I do worry about the team psyche if they would have went out and had, you know, a five or 10 point loss at home against yeah. Clemson, um, who's a really good team. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that kind of worked out for them. And then if you're able to beat Syracuse, you know, you've got another few days off uh, time to get better. So um, uh, it's weird because when they have these huge gaps there, it feels like the game is kind of life or death. You know, <laughs> like if when they lost to Georgia Tech, I was like, man, they don't have another game for another week. They're going to you know, they're going to sit with that one. And of course, Notre Dame got rescheduled to then. So it worked out. Um, but just, I think that's something to think about too, this season is that for the players psychologically, it's a big deal when you have a huge break coming up to, to try and get a win. Indeed. All right, boys, getting ready to put a bow on this episode. Sean, you got two pennies for us. Um, you know, I think going forward, we'll be, you know, with the, the high school seasons, I think in North Carolina, kicking into gear, uh, DeMarco Dunn, was able to get a few games under his belt. So we'll be able to talk a lot more about those games, you know, as they, as they go. Um, so looking forward to watching him a little bit more since it's, it's been a while since we've talked about him. And also I will throw this last penny to you. Um, I, I know that there was some scuttlebutt on Friday night when uh, Dontre Styles had actually had an injury. Sherelle talked about this on the show with us on Saturday Things look okay. Nothing structural. They're going to wait and see. But Shrill, has anything changed there? We still feel like bullet dodged. Yeah, I talked to him yesterday, and he said he was he was feeling fine still. Um, so initially Friday, he just sent a text back that says like I said I'm okay, uh, basically. And then yesterday on the phone, he said that he was a little sore. He was very scared what had happened. He didn't know what happened. Yeah. Um, but that it, you know he's good, and he he said God is good, and he was he was feeling good about himself. So I, I think right. you know I, I don't have a you know, know how long it's going to be or anything, but he seems to be okay. Well, it's the old adage, you know, he's day to day, aren't we all right? Yeah. Um, boys, I appreciate the time this week. Thank you uh, to all of our listeners and viewers for joining us on another episode of coast to coast here on InsideCarolina.com. As always take the time, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, appreciate Johnny t-shirt sponsoring the show. Sean, appreciate you being here. Real appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll check on with you guys next week. And to our listeners, we'll talk at you next time. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.